0: iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store.
1: All right. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for coming to this special event. Please, uh, moderating the event is going to be Anthony Bresnikin of USA Today. So give a warm round of applause for him. And we're going to start the event in a few
2: minutes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. It's great to see so many people here. I know Damon and Carlton are really excited, and... uh, I, I was just telling them, I've been a, a fan of this show since before it was on the air. You know, as a reporter, we, we're, we're lucky we get these DVDs in the mail. And uh, sometimes they're awful. Most of the time they're awful. But sometimes you just put one in and you discover something great. And this DVD had Desperate Housewives, the series premiere, and Lost on the same, on the same disc. And I remember taking it home and my wife and I watched it. And we are like, oh my God, oh my God, this show Lost is so good it's never gonna last past six episodes <laughs> and uh... we better not get too invested in this but when it became a big hit we were really excited and uh... now that's almost six years later and here we are coming up on the end of the series and uh... before we get started i'd just like to sort of get a read on the on the audience a little bit by round of applause how many people here are flashing sideways right now anybody Okay. good I I hate to break it to you, but this may not actually be happening for you. So, please welcome Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof. So uh, I'll ask some questions, and then, uh, then we'll open it up to you guys. But is there anything you guys want to start with? Uh, you want to talk about the next week's episode since we saw sort of...
0: Not, not really too much, no. no. <laughs> I mean, that's like about the only clip that you can see because uh, obviously it's Richard Alpert's story, and we've been very circumspect and haven't shown anything about what that's about. And But we're excited about it. I mean, we actually think it's one of the best episodes um, that we've done at the show, and it actually is kind of a super-sized episode. It runs, I think, what, like four minutes long or something like that?
1: Yeah, it's a yeah. little longer than the average bear. You know, yeah. we, we're, we're getting into the uh, the business of trying not to overhype hype or, or make promises about what the answer quotient in an episode is going to be, like the ABC promo people, because, you know, it's like every answer you have ever had about the show is going to be revealed next week. They're, the only way you, you walk away from that is disappointed, so
2: but over the over, over the run of the series you've you've managed to actually keep a fairly locked down all, all of the the secrets I mean I think a lot of fans also don't necessarily go looking for them because they they like to be surprised but 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 uh, how have you managed keeping keeping things secret? I mean, you have a staff of writers,
0: you have actors, you're shooting things out in public as I understand it on well, public act, beaches actually anthony, how we keep it a secret <laughs> is a secret um, really no seriously, we actually have like. You know, Disney people who I think used to work for various secret government organizations. And you know, there's a bunch of procedures and process things that we do to protect the privacy of the show. And we actually can't tell you what they are because that would actually lead to people having the ability to breach them. But right. we do yeah. actually do a lot of he, things.
1: He's not, these guys came into our office a couple of weeks ago and they said, we have a dossier for you. And Damon I, thought so, he was being
0: arrested, yeah, actually. Like,
1: wow, a dossier. This is definitely impressive. But there are, you know, clearly there are people out there who want to spoil the show, and uh, you know, we wouldn't be doing our job if we weren't trying to spoil them, spoiling it. Hmm.
2: Um, well, this, that's very mysterious. It's yeah. a, I, yeah, it's I mean, we do,
0: one thing which we do do, which we can disclose, is we write, when we cast, um, for actors, we write fake scenes. So, in other words, because the scenes get faxed all over town by basically the casting um, the casting director faxes them to agencies for actors to come in and read so it would be impossible to maintain the secrecy of a scene so whenever we cast a role we write a scene that is like the scene we want an actor to play in the show but is not the scene itself. So there'll be, you know, there have been some crazy scenes that have taken place in like, you know, in in military barracks and in, uh, you know, uh, modern hospitals and lawyers offices and stuff that just the the writers kind of go crazy. So they take the attitude and the sort of characteristics of the actor and write a new scene. Then we use that to cast the actor. And then when they actually get cast, we give them the real material and
2: you've actually shot some fake scenes too, right? I remember when, the, uh, when they were revealing who was in the coffin. I forget which is that episode, was that season four uh, we, uh, the yeah, end of at season the, four at, at the end of
1: every season we 're revealing somebody in a coffin so <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, in that case, it was the end of season four. you know we had set up at the end of season three that Jack was mourning over this over this coffin who, you know, who Jeremy Bentham's inside and uh, you know, we knew that with the big reveal at the end of that season was going to be that it was um, Terry O'Quinn, Locke so you know, we, we, we told Hawaii we wanted to shoot three separate endings one with um, you know, a Desmond one with Sawyer and one with Locke so even the crew would be confused
0: the problem is we forgot to tell the yeah, actors we that we were him. doing this
1: so Josh called us up and he's like why the hell am I putting on a suit and getting in a coffin are you trying to tell me something yeah and we're like, oh no, dude! It's just a psych out. So, oh, right. but um, we're yeah. not really dead. But uh, you know, um, we we are employing a variety of uh, of techniques um, to try to protect the show. Well, in it, fact, it, this
0: person next to me is not actually it's Damon. Not actually it's a look-alike. <laughs> it's like the movie Dave. We actually. Found him in Georgia and have brought him here. The real Damon is actually in an undisclosed location. Just like Saddam Hussein had all the doubles, so does Damon
1: Little. I really, uh, I was, I said, please compare me to Saddam Hussein in some <laughs> Absolutely. way.
2: Absolutely, that's all he but asked said, for. Live, you know,
1: how long is it going to take to get to that again?
2: <laughs>
1: the answer is around eight minutes. So, well,
2: uh, now that you're reaching the end of this show, uh, uh, what's your feeling? I imagine it's partly relief, but also you must feel a little bit of sorrow to let this thing that you've lived with for so long uh, uh, sort of drift off and reach its end. Just you know, we're actually
0: it. still so busy doing the show, we're actually still writing the finale right mm-hmm. now. Um, so I think we're, we're still too much in the middle of it. I think the time for self-reflection will occur in a few weeks or maybe in May when we're actually really... Because we have to finish the show for international delivery about, I don't know, 10 days or something before it actually goes on the air, or 11 days, but... Which in television is actually a long time. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think they'll will they'll be once it's done. I know there will be a very different, you know, reflective attitude about it.
1: There, are, um, this is uh, this is an apropos story for for this event. But basically, um, when JJ and I were writing the pilot in um, in March of uh, 2004, we were writing it in the Starbucks over attached to the uh, uh, bookstore over there, and he's he's like, I'm going to send you the file so we can work on it together. And I said, well, how, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, don't you have Wi-Fi? And I said, well, what, what are you talking about? And he said, let's walk over to the Apple store. <laughs> so we walked into the store and we got you know, a little Wi-Fi chip and we put it in my computer and it's like to think about the fact that I didn't even know what Wi-Fi was when Lost started um, you know is a very very weird concept but it's, um, it's absolutely true so you know now I was sitting over in that Starbucks this afternoon writing the finale completely paranoid that somebody was gonna look over my shoulder at all the at all the script notes and the idea that we've written you know 118 hours of the show you know from then until now is pretty trippy.
0: But it was the fake Damon. It was not the real. Correct. It's not the real one. These, yeah. these things that we mean. can't talk about. <laughs> yeah.
2: now, well, now that you're near the end, are there things that have been revealed finally to the audience that that you've been looking forward to actually being able to talk about? Because every artist, you know, I, I assume, enjoys sort of the, the exploration of their work, and and you've been sitting on some of these that plot points for a long That guy who looks like day. Locke is the smoke monster. <laughs>
0: it's. I, we're saying it here. No, we, you know, we, 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 did not want to put ourselves in a position where we were basically waiting until the final episode of the series to be answering questions. I mean, that mm-hmm. would not be. I mean, the fact that you learn that he's the smoke monster is cool, but you know, if we were just answering questions in the in the in the finale, we don't feel it would be emotionally satisfying. So we're trying to spread the answers out yeah. through the course of the season. And it was weird. I, there was definitely a day. There was one night when. Um, we're actually, uh, when we were working on a scene in, in, an, in the episode that's coming up actually on Tuesday night, and um, we were like, oh my gosh, we're actually in a mode now where we're actually taking these things that we've held so close to the vest for like five years, and we're actually explicating them. We're putting them in the scripts, and it was a very weird sensation when you hold secrets and then finally, yeah. you know, you share them. It was, it was, you know, it took a little getting used to, and then... And then over the course of a few episodes, we started doing more of that, and it was, uh, it was actually kind of it
1: was fun. I think, you know, for us, we, these questions percolate to the top, and this question of what is the monster, or what do the numbers mean, you know, we've wanted to basically take people and say, no, 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 the question isn't what is the monster, the question is who is the monster, and the question isn't what do the numbers mean, it's what do the numbers correspond to. But the minute that you engage in that conversation, you start spoiling stuff. So you kind of have to just take the questions as they are but you also have to accept that when you answer one question there are two questions left in its wake and people seem to fundamentally think that you know that uh, uh, we're, we're gonna you can answer a question without asking two new questions and we talk about this as sort of the big bang phenomenon of the show which is you know physicists are now like okay the creation of the universe was the big bang but then you can say yeah but what caused the Big Bang? What was before the Big Bang? And then they go, yada, yada, yada. And then you go, but what caused that? So, you know, the, the, in, in many ways, the show is, is a snake eating its own tail. So we, we've always been very honest about saying we're going to answer the questions to the best of our ability. We're going to answer the questions that are important to the characters on the show. But the show is really about the people, what happens to the people, why they came to the island, what's the purpose behind the crash, all that stuff. That's what we're focused on, and, and, and the sort of more subtle nuances of, um, of of every little detail in terms of who put the tattoo on the Dharma shark. Um, answer, um, Dr. Pierre Chang. We, you know, we um, we will we can't do it all. Yeah.
2: You know? Now, I know you've you've often said that there there has been a plan all along, um, but I, but you had to have maintained some flexibility over the over the course of the years. Uh, actors come and go, things change, there's a strike. You know, I don't know all of the different factors that could affect the show, but but, but um, I, I remember seeing uh, a, a, the Lost panel at Comic-Con before the show had premiered, and I can't remember who it was, but one of the questions from the audience, the audience that had just like watched the, the, this, the pilot episode was, well, what's the monster? And someone said, it's not a dinosaur. It, I can promise you that. It, I'm not going to tell you what the monster is, but it's not a dinosaur. But did you know at that point... It's a smoke monster, and the smoke monster is this guy who lives in a foot on the beach. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, the 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 question of process is a very complicated one because it's not as though you just, as a creative person, come up with everything all at one time. It is it occurs in stages. So. Yeah. There was the real, the real mythology building of the series took place between the first and the second year. During the first year, we were really just basically focused on trying to get through the first season. Mm-hmm. I mean, to make 25 hours of the show the first year, figure it all out, um, was, was challenging. And also, you know, we didn't know if the show was going to last. And then right. finally, um, you know, we, we were deep into it when the ratings came out. And it was like, oh, yeah, it looks like there's actually an audience for this thing. It's going to have to continue. And then we really started having conversations about the mythology at that point. And then, But, you know, we, we built part of it. We built the superstructure. But then every year before each season, we would have what's called writer's minicamp where we would sit down with the writers for like three or four weeks and we would plan out in much more detail what was in that season. And then you build new elements. And then mm-hmm. as you write episode to episode, a lot, of, a lot of discovery occurs, particularly on a character level. And then there are wild cards, like you said, like Mr. Echo, who we had a much bigger yeah. plan for, but he hated being in Hawaii. He didn't like being on the show. And it was like, please write me out of the show. And so we we killed mr echo sooner than we would have killed him because the actor just didn't enjoy the gig of being on the show right but you were definitely going to kill him
1: well, no no. <laughs> no you know not necessarily. we we would have mr echo would have lived had the actor you know had adewale wanted to stick around longer mm-hmm. so that that's a case where you basically say you know this is the situation that we're in, and we're going to try to make the best of it. And the original plan is going to have to be you're you're going to have to have other characters bear the story weight of what would have happened for that guy. Did
2: did you scrap everything you had planned for him, or did you transplant story elements onto other characters? Well, the
1: the good news for us is, in that at, at that point in the show, we were in the second season of the show, mm-hmm. going into the third season, and the end date of the show hadn't been declared yet. So the the, and we've got we've been very honest about this saying at the beginning of the third season of the show we put the characters in cages because there was nowhere for them to go there was nothing for them to move towards cuz we ourselves felt like We were trapped in cages until we were allowed to, you know, have an end date of the show. So, you know, if you if you take the metaphor of a relationship, it's sort of the equivalent of like sitting down on a first date with someone and they're, you know, they say, so what religion do you want to raise our kids? And you go like, "Ah, let's try to get to a second date first. But once you have a sense that you want to spend time together. You want to get married, then you can start to t- kind of talk about your plans. But at that point, we had a, we had an idea for Mr. Echo, what he was going to represent, which characters he was going to bounce off of, some of his you know flashback stories, and. And, and what he was going to do on the show. But a lot of the stuff that Echo was going to do ended up getting played by Ben Linus. Because hmm. as 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 Echo, as Ottawa was saying, I want to leave the show, Michael Emerson was popping in such a huge way. So we said, let's put Ben in relationship with Locke as opposed to Echo in relationship with Locke and see where that takes
0: us. But but the scenes became you know profoundly different. It wasn't like right. Ben did his material. It was basically, it created an opening to allow us to play scenes. And so... Michael Emerson, who was scheduled to do three episodes, ended up doing eight. He became so fundamentally central to the show that we made him a series regular. And now it's hard to imagine how Lost could ever have existed without him. You know, And it was basically he got – there was real estate available for that guy, and he basically took it. I mean he you – know, and actors can do that. You can An actor can come on the show, and they can be so incredible that they can win us over. And as writers, you watch that, and then you are engaged – and it's a very organic process. We're like, we want to write more for Michael Emerson. The moment he said, got any milk, we were like, dude, we got we to put more. We got to do more with this and guy. And I could
1: really go for a glass of milk right now. <laughs> and we drank a lot yeah.
0: of milk. Um, so that was, you know, that, that's, that's – Emerson had a lot to do with his own success.
1: But, but, I, do, but I do think that once – halfway through the third season, you know, and for, for the audience, there was, a, you know, like about a six-month lull between episode six and episode seven for us – you know, there was a one-day lull. We just started writing episode seven. But around the time that we were writing episodes eight and nine of season three, we we negotiated the end date of the show. And from that point on, the plan became a lot more nailed down. At that point, there was not much malleability. You know, if, if we had had an echo-like defection where an actor said that they wanted to leave the show, we were screwed. So at that point, when we, when we were bringing new characters to the show, like the freighter folk, we we, we, we would say to them, hey, listen, Jeremy Davies, you know, you're coming on to the show. This is exactly what we have planned for Daniel Faraday. This is how long you need to be on the show, and you need to commit to this. And if you want to leave Hawaii, we're going to have a problem. So, you know, up, up until that point, we had a little little more wiggle room. But once we had the end date and we knew exactly what we were working towards, much less.
2: That sounds pretty menacing, Saddam Hussein. Like I could see. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. You're staying on this island. Wow.
0: well it was good for the actors because you know we weren't asking and most times if you're an actor in a television series you have to commit like seven years of your life and that's really hard for a lot of actors to say I want to do this one thing and especially Jeremy Davies was like a movie actor was like this is a discreet job you're going to be on the show from here until here we had a story arc planned for him and it was great for him because he could come do it, but then he was still able to go back into the movie world. It's amazing to hear that about Ben, that Ben was, you know, that the original
2: plan was that he would be on for such a short period because well, that most recent episode where you see his flash sideways, it, it, I thought, wow, this show has really become yeah. about this guy's redemption
0: in there, a way. There's a more complicated answer to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the truth was we had this idea that the, they would capture the leader of the others mm-hmm. and we tried, we wanted to cast a really good actor and, we, and then he was going to get away and then they were going to be like, oh, my God, we had the leader of the others in our possession, and we thought that was a really cool story idea. Now, we, the back door was if the actor didn't work out well, then we would have introduced the leader of the others in a new way. It was, But once we, we sought out Michael Emerson, we, we cast him for this part. We wanted him desperately, and when he did it, he was so good that we just wrote more episodes that season, but once he confirmed that he was the leader of the others, it engaged a plan for that character. So, in other words, mm-hmm. there was... You know it was it was not as though we just suddenly said, "Oh, Michael Emerson, we're going to just do all this great stuff with him." We had a game plan, but he came in and was so good as an actor that he completely allowed us to engage in our long term plan plus more. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, that, that you have a writer's camp
2: before each season what What goes on there I mean, do you do you
1: When you you go to an archery... When you say writer's camp, it does feel like we have the tires set up and you've got to... Are you doing crafts, you know? No, no, it's, you know, we we basically sit... uh, At the completion of, for example, last year at the end of season five... Uh, we wrote the finale. The, the writers took a week off to decompress. Carlton and I stayed and continued, you know, doing the last-minute changes to the script and also editing the shows. And then we all reconvened, and then we would spend, like, three hours a day basically talking about season six. And, and clearly every year that this goes on you're building more and more towards what you know you're going to do so it just becomes about kind of nailing down the story are we sure we want to do this mm-hmm. it, you know how much uh, you know we have to make this deal with Mark Pellegrino so how many episodes exactly is Jacob going to be in that sort of, so you so you're really getting into the specifics of um of what your plan is and that also you know is an opportunity for you know to kind of try out new ideas um, to be sure that the old ideas are still uh, working in the way that you want them to be and all of this is in the vacuum of people haven't really e- haven't at the time that we're having the writers minicamp the audience still hadn't seen the final five episodes of mm-hmm. um, of, uh, of season five so we're talking about the sideways in great depth before you know Faraday even came back in the variable and said, hey, I have this idea. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a leap of faith in terms of saying, wow, I really hope that people like this, because if they don't, we're kind of pot committed at this point.
2: Did you change gears on anything because the audience reacted badly? I, I, I'm thinking of... Uh... Paolo and, uh, and... Nikki Apollo. and Paolo.
1: I think that's probably the biggest
0: uh, and most egregious example. But, you know, we'd actually made the decision before the audience saw it. I mean, we realized it because it's like a super tanker, you know. The show takes like five miles to slow down. I mean, we're so far ahead of the audience. Right. I mean, right now, for instance, the audience is going to see episode nine or the ninth hour of the show on Tuesday, and we are now writing the 18th, 17th, and 18th mm-hmm. hour of the show. So you know, we're, we're way ahead. And by the, we had re- decided that we had this idea that we were going to bring these two members out of the chorus. There were all these people on the beach. People were like, well, how come they never get to do anything? Why aren't those people in the show? So we're like, okay, we'll introduce a couple of those characters. Yeah. And then the audience immediately cried foul. And as we were watching it, it was like, this feels kind of wrong. Like, we are like, sort of suggesting that they were in scenes and stuff. And it's just, it's weird. It's like, it's like in your gut, you kind of go, that idea doesn't work. I mean, mm-hmm. the most ideas on the show aren't over intellectualized they're, they're kind of gut decisions and Damon and I sit and we have breakfast every morning we're you know like on breakfast 2000 or something now discussing the show and uh, like you just can tell like if an idea is not working and we just started getting bad feeling in our guts about Nikki and Paulo. and we're like we, we have to kill them.
1: But, you know, the, the, the thing about Nicky and Paolo is I'm so thankful for them because it's so you know it's so nice to say they're the shittiest thing that ever happened to the show because you learn from your mistakes, you know, to, to basically sit up here and say, no, everything that we've done is absolutely perfect and screw you if you don't like it. The fact that we're fans of our own show and, and when we first saw what Nicky and Paolo, uh, when we first saw them on screen, we kind of looked at each other and said, how do we get out of this? We, we have two approaches, one, they, you never see them again. We just pretend that this never happened. The the other way is to commit an entire episode to the adventures of Nikki and Paolo, where we li- literally stick them in all these scenes over the course of the series, and at the end of it, kill them in sort of in, in, in this sort of fabulous way, so that we're this is literally our press conference where we go on and we say, I am sorry that I lied to you, American people. We will ne- we will never betray your trust again. They are they have been buried alive. So you know it, it does feel Isn't like
0: now Tiger Woods Saddam yeah. over here.
1: <laughs> that, that was actually my Bill Clinton, but, you know, uh, what's the difference? I, I mean, a, a, really. as a, a... We all <laughs> saw South Park last night.
2: As, as a fan of the show, I wasn't a big fan of theirs, but I actually really liked the episode where you killed them. I thought that was pretty you ingenious. Know, it's I think it was, it was very a very satisfying a, it episode. A, it was a
0: very polarizing episode, mm-hmm. and I think some people really loved it, but I think certain devout fans were very upset with it because it kind of was like... It was referential. It actually acknowledged that the show wasn't this sort of biblical creation. It was, as Damon said, it was a it was an editorial comment. And it stood aside as an episode like that. And I think some people are like, How dare you actually do this kind of an episode mm-hmm. where, you know but but we loved it and particularly Eddie and Adam who are writers who work with us on the show and have since the first year of the show. They they really embraced it enormously, and so you know we just had a lot of fun writing that episode. It was a it was a very it was a much needed psychic break for us in the course of the you know plotting of the show. Yeah,
1: you know the audience doesn't want to break the fourth wall, and neither do we. I mean the the thing about the show is it takes itself very seriously, and there are ridiculous situations when you when you anybody who's in this room who watches Lost and tries to explain something about the show to someone who doesn't watch it, you if you stop and listen to yourself. You sound crazy. You're <laughs> There's a guy down in a hatch pushing a button every hundred and eight minutes or any of that business. But you know, the minute that the show stops taking itself seriously, but we felt like Expose was going to be our Jose Chung, you know, to basically say, you know, we started with a teaser where Nikki basically staggers out of the jungle and she collapses and Hurley's like, it's Nikki, and then Sawyer says, Who the hell's Nikki? (laughs) So the idea that he's basically of course he would know who she was. They've been they've spent three seasons together. He wouldn't know her name, but he's commenting in terms of the that was the audience's response to these characters. When they first showed up, is like, how dare you? I've I've invited these characters into my home for two seasons. How dare you show up and start talking in my living room? You don't belong here.
2: The um, I wondered, I didn't, I never pay much attention to spoilers, uh, things trying to reveal what's coming up on the show. But I do spend a lot of time looking at the theories after an episode runs. People pulling out Easter eggs and 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 things you might have missed. This was Kate's mom. The the waitress, those sort of things. Um, and I wonder, do you pay any attention to the way the show is analyzed after the fact?
0: Um, you know, I think that our one pervading comment is, is that, you know, we, we, we wish we were half as smart as people ascribe <laughs> us, you know, in terms of theorizing about the show. I mean, you know, Doc Jensen in, e- in Entertainment Weekly, particularly is someone who is really activated by the show and reads an enormous amount into it and... Uh, you know, we, we love Jeff Jensen, but, you know, we, we, we're we just not that smart, Jeff. Like, we don't have, you know, we, we try to tell a good story, and I think that the truth about good storytelling is, is that it has, you, the, the resonant frequency rises the better job you do with your storytelling, and it allows people to, you know, kind of derive meaning from it on different levels, and that's the best we can do is to kind of try to do our best job of telling stories and then that gives the audience an opportunity to find their own interpretation and this is this is kind of like you know we, we feel in some ways like we were misrepresented about you know our intent at the end of the show I mean we, we want to just have there be a period of time when we're not going to comment on the finale so that people can have a chance to live with it and theorize and digest it and do the things that they do that we felt it was unfair for us to come out and say, no, we meant this, and we, this means that, and this means that. I mean, but we're not... Well, that's we're what not David going, Chase did with The Sopranos. Is he didn't yeah. comment on that cut to black, and that was that. Right? right, I mean, and to some degree, we want the audience to have the ability to own that. I mean, but we're not, you know, we're not disappearing into the ether. We're not going J.D. Salinger. <laughs> we're still, you know, going to be out and working and doing stuff. But... For some period of time, we do want the audience to have a chance to just do exactly that, to have a chance to kind of derive their own experience from the
2: finale. What, what's your encounter been like with sort of well-known fans of the show? I know like Stephen King is a big fan of the show, and, and, uh, and I know like you know, professors of philosophy are fascinated by all the names that you give the characters. I mean, wh- wh- who are some of the higher-profile people you've encountered who, who maybe are artists or creative people themselves uh, and, 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 and how has their appreciation for the show influenced you?
1: You know, uh, for me, you know, it, 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 it doesn't matter if someone is a quote unquote celebrity or if they're just someone who shows up to one of these <laughs> events and they're fans they're, they're completely indistinguishable there are you know, guys like Jimmy Kimmel who's actually like had Carlton and I on the show as guests because you know and we're, I'm like we're backstage at Jimmy Kimmel wearing suits and they're like <laughs> ladies and gentlemen laws creators Carlton name I'm like what the fuck am I doing on a talk show <laughs> like this is crazy. So that that kind of a thing is cool. And he's like asking us all these questions about Lost on the Jimmy Kimmel show. And the audience is just looking at us like, we have no idea what these guys are talking about. Where's Justin Timberlake? And, you know, And but it, it, it's, it's obviously, you know, really nice. For me, it's like guys sort of like in the geek, you know, in the geek community who are like fanboys, like, you know comic book fans guys like john hodgman you know who who uh, obviously plays the pc in the in the apple commercials i met him at the ted conference and we now have gotten together a couple times and we talk about star trek and dune and lost and all these things and you know that to me is like you know is is heaven and 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 i said to my wife like i i'm having dinner with john hodgman and she's like is that about who you know so
0: That that said, we did meet Stephen King, which was an unbelievable experience because he is a huge influence on both of us. And, in fact, The Stand stand stand
2: has kind of uh, the template for for Lost with all the different characters coming together.
0: Absolutely, yeah, because, you know, really there wasn't another TV show like Lost. So we were looking around for what was the closest model to something that that would work for us as sort of a paradigm when we were first kind of – kind of constructing this series, and The Stand was it. I mean, it was a high-concept premise, but it, but it sustained a thousand pages because of the depth of the character storytelling. So we got to go to Bangor, Maine, mm-hmm. and we actually went to a horror movie with Stephen King, which was, was awesome. It, it was The, the Descent. descent. Oh, yeah, and, the it it was, and it was awesome, because he's like, he talks back to the screen. He's like, <laughs> don't go
1: down there. Don't go down there. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is awesome. It's called The Descent. They're going down there. <laughs>
0: And like you know, and like this, there's this wicked scene where someone's leg gets horribly broken. He's like, "Oh, that's what my leg looked like when I got hit with that
1: van." It was like, like, "Wow, this can this really be happening to us?" It was so cool. By the way, not a spoiler. Just there's a cool stand homage in the um, in the episode on this this Tuesday night. So if you're King fans or stand fans, check look for that.
2: Which of the characters? Is there is there a particular one that you? enjoyed writing dialogue for I'm thinking all the names that Sawyer uses to to nickname people that must just be kind of a blast to to come up with the uh, nicknames for Hurley to for him to Snap at him sarcastically.
1: He's um, you know, he's sort of scaled back on the on the nicknames this year. It's like it, it kind of got to be. It's like one of those things where it's like son of a bitch, where you go, okay, it's getting dangerously close to being, you know, a cutesy catchphrase. But at the same time, you want the character to say it at, a, at, a, at appropriate mm-hmm. times, and you know, it's funny to go on YouTube and see the son of a bitch montage of like <laughs> it's every son of a bitch that Sawyer's ever used on the show, and you go like, okay, I remember that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's an entirely different. So he's actually Josh's mastered the, you know, the art of the son of a bitch. There's the sad son of a bitch. There's the, there's the I just lost a ping pong son of a bitch, you know. Um, so that that in and of itself is an art form.
0: You know, usually my answer to this question is Sawyer, yeah. but, you know, at the, uh, at the risk of sounding a little odd, um, this year it was pro- it's, Claire has been really fun to write. Really? I mean, just because she's been so crazy mm-hmm. and kick-ass and, you know, she's got squirrel baby, this That's little freaky. that thing, thing in so her creaky. crib, and it's like the most important thing. And and Emily is just awesome. I mean, she's such a good actress, and like, but writing her as you know, as having been kind of this sort of brainwashed, kind of um, lock influenced person over the last three years, it's just been a lot of fun to sort of see, and see the actress so committed to it. It's, mm-hmm. and some of those scenes, like the scene in last week's show where, like, you know, Locke kind of, you know, slaps her down and stuff. I mean, that's that was fun. Mm-hmm. Who, who's the most difficult?
1: You know, um, I, I think that probably Jack is the one that we as writers always struggle with the most because he's the hero, and it's kind of like Jack sort of suffers from that nobody wants to be Luke Skywalker syndrome, where it's like we all wanted to be Han Solo. It's like Luke is just boring, and. You know, th- there are times that a writer, as a as a writer, where Jack basically kind of has to be earnest and heroic, and you're like, oh, Jack, just you know, just get over it. Like you're so you're so sad about needing to fix things all the time. But I, I feel like we kind of got over the hump towards the end of last year, and this year, this idea that he's sort of you know beginning to uh, he's beginning to c- become Locke in a lot of ways. Oh, that you thing know? with the
2: dynamite was yeah. pretty badass. He's basically
1: know? now talking yeah. all about purpose and destiny, and you know, it's like oh, writing Jack as Locke is actually very interesting and it just makes us sort of realize as writers like what excites you as a writer is the same thing that, uh, that excites an audience in watching a character where you can sort of change it up a little bit um, if a character isn't doing the 50th version of a scene you, you've seen before um, th- that, that makes it cool so now we're writing the finale right now um, and uh, you know, it feels like every character has come so far. It, it, there, there's there's no sort of sense whatsoever of being bored by them. Everybody yeah. is, it's you know, and some of them, it's like the last thing they're going to say on the series. You know? it, it's
2: natural for for an actor, obviously, not to know the future for their character, but you, but 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 to not know their past. I mean, the, the pasts of these characters is kind of an important reveal in, in a lot of episodes. And, and how have you worked with the actors to give them the information they need, like like, like, like Michael Emerson and Ben? Like, this is, a, this is a character who knows everything about the island, but I'm guessing you didn't tell him everything there was to know about Lost when he started playing it.
0: No, I mean, the, the thing that's really interesting about our show is that actors have learned to live without that information, mm. and they... It's hard I think because actors like to know everything but they've had to come in and because we just don't tell them those things, they have to act the script, the moments, the scenes and it makes them incredibly present in those particular scenes and it's most of the actors actually, once they get used to it, they actually find it kind of a relief. Like, hmm. I don't have to try to play three things that aren't relevant here. I'm just going to play this scene. And they are in, they're like the audience. They are the audience. And each you know, member of the audience may identify with a different character. But they the immediacy of what's happening to them and their not knowing is such a huge part of what makes the show work that... They all kind of play into it. So they're, they, they just get the scripts. I mean, you know, honestly, we start shooting the finale on Monday. They'll probably get a script about Monday. Some of the actors who have yeah. scenes first up will get some scenes. So it's not like they even know the ending of the show ahead of the audience. They're going to be doing it kind of scene by scene right up until the very end.
1: And, you know, the actors you know, it's a leap of faith for all of them. You basically say to them, hey, pretend you know what you're talking about. You know, you're an actor. You know, that's what you, that's what you have to sell. And, you know, uh, we've been really blessed because there's not a single actor on the show who's called Carlton and I up and basically said, I really need to know, you know, um, more about my character in order to play this scene. They kind of all, you know, they all feel liberated just jumping in.
2: Excellent. Well, uh, I'm going to open it up now to the audience. I believe there's someone going around with a microphone. So go ahead and ask your question, but I was told to repeat the question for the podcast in case this doesn't pick it up, so that's what I'll do. Hello. Um, my I was going to ask a random mythology question, but for now, what do you want us to take away from the show as a whole, like to look back on and say this is the message you are trying to convey? So the question is, what do you want fans to take away from the show once it's
0: over? You know, I, th- I think that's a, that's a very difficult thing for us to answer simply. I mean... I think to to you know, to summarize 121 hours of the show and just say, "Here's here's what it is." I mean, would be would, would not be doing justice to you or or I think we feel the show. I mean, you know, look, we we hope that there's a very positive, hopeful message that comes out of the show at the end, and, and obviously this sort of notion of live together, die alone, the, the this, this sense of the importance that we all have in each other's lives is something that's that's very meaningful to us and. Um, you know, we, we, we hope that you'll, you'll kind of come to your own conclusions about the finale, but, but you know, there, there may be several different answers to that question.
1: And, you know, and one of them, I think, the very short answer is, just for you specifically, you know, I think our hope is that when you watch the finale of the show and the finale is over, that you will feel that it was all worth it, that you did not invest the last six years of your life in something that was completely futile. And whatever your reaction to the finale is, you'll at least say, wow, I'm really glad that I watched all these episodes of Lost, as opposed to, wow, I really feel like I just got burned. Next question.
2: Hi. Um, I'm over at Pepperdine, and I just changed my major from pre-med to creative writing. So I'm wondering, um, how did you guys get from you know, the beginning of your careers to you know, where you are now with this successful and phenomenal
0: show? So I was actually you- pre-med myself when I started college. Really? And, uh, but I had the, f- the good fortune that my uncle was a surgeon. And he's like, oh, why don't you come scrub in and uh, surgery with me? And he was doing an intestinal bypass on this very obese woman. And, like, going in and, like, you know, cauterizing all these capillaries, car- you know, ar- whatever, you know, veins and arteries. And there was, like, burning flesh. And he was taking organs out of the incision and showing them to me. And I was like, my field of vision went, and I fainted. And that was pretty much it. It was like no more medicine. So, you know, I think I think that uh, you know, you you have to you have to just kind of follow your heart and I think as a storyteller, you know, you have to just kind of um, it's hard to summarize, but I think you should you know, you have to read a lot, write a lot. Read Stephen King's book on writing. That's probably the that's the best kind of short summary of there's like Reading that book, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Like, you know, in terms of kind of cataloging all the lessons that have been learned the hard way in the course of learning how to be a writer, Stephen King does an amazing job at just summarizing them in that little book.
2: So, next question. Hey, how's it going? Uh, hey, uh, I was just wondering, from a writing perspective, um, I know you guys are working on the finale now. So, how how do you sort of weigh the difference between doing something that's fulfilling for you as a writer versus you have these legions of fans that are just they have put the show on such a high pedestal and they have such expectations for what to come out of it and and every week you know you look online and you see oh they didn't answer any questions this week why you know it's and so I guess how do you justify that gap between writing what you feel is appropriate and and at the same time you know pleasing the masses
1: you know um i I, i'm the one who you know somehow needs to find that validation on the net sometimes and you know and carlton is actually always trying to talk me out of looking because if you fundamentally accept if you're a writer you're sensitive and if you're sensitive if you read ten comments about your show and nine of them say that was the greatest episode I've ever seen and one of them says that was the worst episode I've ever seen and you're making it up as you go along that becomes your takeaway so it becomes you know toxic You and, and, and unfortunately writing Lost it's not like a football game where we either win or we lose it doesn't matter if you won in the last three seconds with a field goal or if you blew out the other team the the the, the audience makes a subjective decision some people thought dr linus was the best episode of the season other people didn't like dr linus so once you accept that there are enough fans of the show that you can't please all fans at any one time all that you all that you can meditate on is what makes us happy what pleases us as fans because there's some episodes carlton and i agree unilaterally on the episodes that we love and the episodes that we don't love and so if we can basically say, let's try to get this episode to a place where we love it, and that's the best that we can do, and hopefully most of the fans, if they've if they've come with us this far, they will concur with us more or less. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's, that's the, it.
0: That's the process that's gotten us this far is doing that methodology. So we can't really change that up going into the end. It would be a mistake to do it. So if you've if you've enjoyed our vision of what makes us, you know, engaged as storytellers then that's what your experience is going to be all the way through the finale. We're just going to do the same thing. It would just give you our the story that we really wanted to tell.
2: Is there anything useful about the audience reaction, though? Do you ever use that as a gauge to to figure out whether they're picking up on what you need them to pick up on?
0: You know, as I said, we're usually so far ahead that it's kind of, you know, in hindsight, it's, uh, yeah, we'll probably learn some lessons uh, in, in the end of May after the <laughs> show's done, but... <laughs> No, I mean we really try to keep it in you know a, a fairly internal process. I mean we 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 like to engage with the fans and we enjoy the 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 process of that. But at this point now and earlier in the se- earlier in the series, definitely you know somebody's like people are like, why is Hurley not losing weight? So he finds a tub of. Dharma Ranch dressing in the in the jungle, but now you know the 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 sort of the 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 show is sort of the, the die is cast, you know.
1: And you know, and the other thing is emotionally for us, you know, we're writing the end of the show, but emotionally for you, you guys are going going through the end of the show too. And um and when they base you know ABC puts out these promos and the promo is only nine original episodes left, and they think that that's a good thing, but what you're thinking is they better get on it. You know, they've only got nine episodes. You know, they better start... they better start getting to the stuff that I want them to get to. And then when we say to you, well, what is it you want us to get to? You go, oh, we're not exactly sure. There are a couple of questions that we want you to answer, but we trust you to get there. And it's so funny now that some of the dialogue has become, there's no way you can do everything you need to do in nine episodes when after people saw the pilot, they said, how are you going to stretch this out for even five episodes? Who wants to watch these people just hang around on the beach? So, you know, for us fundamentally... You know, the good news was we negotiated the end date three years ago. We knew we needed three more years. That's exactly the time we wanted. It's exactly the time we got. The show is ending on its own terms. We make no excuses. You know, we, we're not going to say, hey, you know, we wish that they had hey, let us do it for another season. This is the story that we're telling, and we hope everybody likes it. You know, um, that's the best we can do. So next question. Hi.
2: Um, we have lost fans, have been told not to expect every little answer to the show. That said, possibly you can manage one expectation about this season. Uh, you've been particularly cagey about the name of the man in black, the John Locke who is not Locke. Can we expect some kind of definitive name reveal? Name reveal for the man in black. Well, just
1: answering that question of whether or not you're going <laughs> to get it, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A percentage. Uh, <laughs> percentage.
0: You know. Yeah, I mean, we we don't really want to answer that. I mean, appreciate it. If you want to take another shot at something else, uh, you're okay.
2: All right. These guys have had a lot of practice not yeah. answering people's questions yeah. over the years. So,
0: all right. So I guess the gentleman Question? the gentleman behind you now has the microphone.
1: Um. Yeah. Well, first, Damon, do you really
0: want people to respond to your last tweet?
1: Yes. If uh, you know, I uh, he's referring to the fact that I tweeted that we were going to be appearing at the um, at the Apple Store, and if you wanted to. Uh, to, to express your disdain for the sideways, we we were we were happy to defend them. So if uh, if that's what you're here to do, no no disdain uh, away.
2: Um, well, my real question is, how much are you guys willing to be open to after the show is over? And would you ever consider releasing the so-called like Greg
0: Nation's Bible? <laughs> um, well, there is going to be a uh, a lost encyclopedia that's going to be released uh, this summer, which is going to have you know sort of. A lot of what Greg nations has cataloged is all put together and with ABC and with sort of all the sources they're going to put out a a book which is going to have the sort of the have all of those you know have many of those facts I mean it's not a document that's going to answer unanswered questions but it will be a a great reference guide to all things lost Um, you know we we uh, you know we are and, and that that's kind of a first step I mean you know, we're trying to find that balance between allowing people to kind of have their own interpretation of the show and, and you know, we appreciate our, you know, position as 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 the showrunners and, and the creators of this world. And, you know, we, we, we like our interaction with the fans, but we also, we don't want to be, again, sort of in a position of having to tell people definitively, this is what you must think about our show.
1: I, uh, I, uh, I was in Paris with... Um with my wife last year and actually ran into Carlton and his wife and kids in the same museum and you can walk around the museum and you get these headsets and if there's a piece of art it says like number 17 and you program into your little thing number 17 and then, you know, the the narrator basically says, here's, you know, this is a work by Vincent Van Gogh, here's when he painted it, here's what, what it's about, here's what inspired him, and you're like, okay, that's cool, but if you walk around without the headset, you just look at it and you say, this evokes a feeling in me, and at a certain point, I was almost like, I kind of wish I didn't know that about this piece of art, because when I first saw it, I had an emotional experience, I'm like, oh, that's beautiful, and then I put it on as like, this is a very angry piece, from a torrid, and I'm like, oh, okay, but... You know, the the fact of the matter is, is uh, there are going to be people who want Carlton and I and the writers to basically come out after the finale and say, "Here's exactly what we intended." You know, and uh, but but at a certain, uh, we really want to let the work speak for itself because we feel our intention is less important than what you, what your takeaway from it is. And that doesn't mean we're going to be ambiguous or vague or, or 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 cut to black. We have an intent. Um, but if we have to if we have to spell it out for you, that defe- the show is called Lost, guys. You know, um, sorry. So next question,
2: who has uh, the mic over uh, here? I've always uh, wondered since the very first episode where your inspiration for the final uh, art card graphic at the end of the show came from. Because I uh, I happen to uh, have I created the. Uh, THX 1138 re-release trailer for George Lucas in the spring of 2004, cool. and it's it bears a remarkable coincidence in style uh, to that. Just title. Steal this man's idea. So
1: no, I just now it's a
2: simple thing. It's a, it's it's not even the same color, but it, with the sound effect, the drift forward, just the texture in a way, I I just couldn't help but think, well, you know,
1: the timing of it, perhaps. Um, the, the the honest answer to that question is JJ actually you know created that um, that logo on his Mac um, sometime around April of two thousand four. So um, he his his office building is somewhere on Wilshire. You should go. He was watching. Pa- the... I'm passing the buck. Um, if if you have been plagiarized, it's JJ's fault. Huh
2: okay next question Thanks. hey guys um, Hello. three quick parts I like, lo- your, I like your t-shirt it says lost university and yeah. it says a whole
1: we are we are you the your co- diploma
0: we are the co-presidents of lost university it's actually when, one of our, when, our highest honors that in costco membership <laughs>
2: <laughs> when, when lost is all done do you guys have plans yet for your next creative endeavor Two, are you planning on continuing to collaborate? And three, and perhaps most importantly, will there be zombies?
0: Oh, my God. Wow. That's a great question. Um, yes, I mean, we, no, we do not have our next creative endeavor. I mean, we, we are so busy making the show right now that it isn't really, there hasn't really been time to think about that, and we want to basically get the show finished and figure that out. And, uh look, Damon and I have a, had a fantastic working relationship and collaboration, and I think we will do stuff together and stuff apart, and you know how that all shakes out and works out, we'll figure it out once lost is, is over. And uh, I, I would be incredibly disappointed if there were not zombies uh, somewhere in either my future or our collective future well said uh, f- from the last episode in
2: recon uh are we supposed to take away from the fact that the if the alter if the flash sideways is an alternate universe um is the branching point from 1977 and not from 1976 and before because Sawyer is still chasing after Anthony Cooper
1: you know th- this is um this is an excellent uh question but uh, again in the same way of what is the monster you uh, you have you you are framing your question based on an assumption that this is an alternate, you know, reality. And one thing that we've said in the podcast and and we'll repeat again here is, we are, all we will say is we are not comfortable, as big fans of what alternate reality storytelling is, you know, Fringe is doing alternate realities. We we are not comfortable with that label um, for what we're doing with the sideways. And hopefully you will concur with us as the, you know, as the, uh, as the season goes on. And, um, you know, you won't have to wait until the finale to begin to get a sense of, you know, uh, of, of, of the fact that it's not an alternate reality. But, um, you know, excellent question and excellent T-shirt.
2: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hi, That's
1: guys. Hey, uh, Aaron Rosenfeld. Um, just a quick question. I'm a huge fan of the show. But without revealing too much, I was just wondering if you could tell me, like, how awesome did you think that Tron Legacy trailer was?
0: It was pretty awesome. I mean, Eddie and Adam, who are writers on the show, uh, wrote the movie, and so you know we've been following the journey of Tron for several years now because they've been working on the project for several seasons, and it's going to be an amazing movie. I mean, it really you know the the, the vision and the technology and the, um, the both the technological mastery and the vision of the director of that movie are. Superb, and it's going to be—it's going to be really cool. So, next
1: one.
2: Okay, well, uh, I'm a big fan of the show. Been watching it since 2004, and um, I've gotten at least 40 people hooked on it. So, um, what did you buy
1: today? What's in the bag? <laughs> oh, these are all the seasons. Oh, excellent, cool.
2: <laughs> but um, yeah, season five is my friend's borrowing it, so I have to go get her. But um, anyways, what would you consider your favorite episode of season six? And Will we see a Miles and Sawyer spinoff? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah,
0: there was a lot. There was a lot of comments about them. You know, that we, was that was so fun to write. I mean, oh my God! Especially you know, Damon and I first met working on the show Nash Bridges that I created, which was a two-handed cop show with Cheech Merritt and Don Johnson. And so, the 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 fun of doing that Miles Sawyer cop thing was great.
1: And we, you know, one of the the things about the Dharma Time storytelling that we did last year was you you know you never got to see the three years in between you know when when you know Lafleur basically became the chief of security and like we we always would you know we always would talk about what that show was because you skipped over three years and suddenly they're buddies so it was like this was our opportunity to do one of those stories but in an entirely different setting um, and and as far as you know. What our favorite episodes uh, of the final season is, you know, um, it, it, it's impossible to tell until you've seen them all. And, and we're writing the finale right now, but it's, it's feeling like it's going to be the finale. Um, you know, my, uh, it's, uh, it's an incredibly emotional experience um, writing it. So we hope some of that transfers to you guys.
2: The finale. Um, you mentioned that this upcoming episode is a slightly longer episode. I assume it's going to be a two-hour finale. I mean, two
0: two-hour finale. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, next question. Two more. Hey, big fans of the show. So ultimately, at the end of each season, you have a code word for the final oh shit moment or scene: the holler, the donkey wheel. Do you have a code word for the final season, for the last scene, or for the last moment? Can you tell us what it is? Doesn't not behoove like the end of a, a series. Oh, can you give us any
0: info on that? We we actually um, we actually don't have one this year. I mean it's it's uh, it's I, I think part in part because the the finale itself feels um, I don't know larger than than the finale feels like it's you'd have to codename the whole finale sort of you know not that it's all just some big revelation but it it doesn't i don't know it just it ha- it didn't it didn't really lend itself somehow this year to finding it
1: yeah you know those scenes have always been very specific so you know the bagel was you know walt's abduction and the snake in the mailbox was the the reveal that Kate and Jack were actually in the future but as carlton says there's no single scene that happens in the finale or the last scene in the finale that were basically like oh this is the one that we have to keep absolutely secret where everything that you thought changes in an instant and it almost felt like you know um to we, we started talking about like well let's force it you know because because someone's going to ask us this and you know and it just you know it felt After like it was like a betrayal day of talking about
0: jewish bread products and we were not breaking the finale we we're like this must stop
1: yes the black and white cookie would have been a good one so
0: last uh, audience question
2: Oh, yeah. so I
1: just wanted to know, as writers of the show, like, what was the method- methodology you used like, to assign which numbers to which characters? Like, did you draw them out of a hat? What was the whole yeah. process? That's just pretty much pulling things out of hats. No, it's, um, you know, it, the, the, the question of the numbers and what the numbers corresponded to and why those numbers and all that stuff is something that we've been talking about for a long time. And, um, and clearly, there are numbers like 23 that um, seem to percolate up in the show more often than, than other numbers, and maybe that, that, that number is designated to Jack. But at the end of the day, the sort of method to our madness and why we assigned those numbers to those people is sort of best left in the ether of the, of the writer's room. But we, all we can tell you is there were many involved conversations um, uh, about your question, and we arrived at, 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 at the designations that we arrived at for our, for our own reasons, and uh, maybe one day they'll become public, but today is not that day.
2: Uh, last question I wanted to ask you is, uh, I, I imagine a, a pretty challenging part of writing this show is keeping the characters themselves in the dark, because they're encountering people constantly who have way more information than they have, way more information than you're prepared to tell the audience. And and, and has that been probably the biggest hurdle for you, to to, to not have the characters, like, grab... One of the others, and just be like, tell me everything you know, or <laughs> you're not leaving being tied to this tree.
0: You know, it's actually, I think, for, the, uh, for those of you out here who are writers or aspiring writers, I mean, I think it's one of the, the secrets to lost success, which is the characters don't spend a lot of time talking about the mythology with each other. And what that does is, is it allows them to talk about other things, about their relationships with each, with each other. And, you know, Damon and I feel like we're writing a Character show that's ninety percent about the characters and ten percent about the mythology, and a lot of shows that have sort of you know kind of followed in Lost's wake have made the fundamental mistake of having the characters just talk about the mythology all the time. And if you do that, the only thing the audience invests in is the mythology because that's all that's on the table. So you know we made a very conscious effort to rarely have the characters talk about the mythology. In the final season, they've had to as certain questions get answered, and it's weird, you know. But we we. That was just a... It was a very significant decision. And I think that decision was at the core of why Lost has a, you know, a big audience as opposed to a small, fervent cult audience because we we kept it focused on the characters and let the mythology just be the frosting but not the cake itself.
1: And, you know, and, and in addition to that... Um, one of the things that we've always thought was cool and we feel is similar to, to life itself is that you assume somebody has all the answers that you care about but the more that you talk to them the more you realize that they were bullshitting You know that they were, that, that they were just sort of um, you know doing their best given the information that they had so when you get to the end of season 5 and Ben Linus reveals that he's never even met Jacob um, you basically go wait a minute that doesn't, huh this is a completely viable concept. Maybe he was just inflating his own sense of importance by saying that he had this relationship. And now you're starting to realize that Jacob kept a lot of people in the dark on the island, in terms of what the island's true purpose was, he just gave out a little bit of information um, to to, to, to people in order to get them to do what it is that he wanted to do. And as a result, the less information the characters have, the more they have to come up with what to do by themselves. The cool thing about Lost is it's not like a cop show or a lawyer show or a doctor show where every episode starts with your lieutenant walking into your bullpen and saying, here's what you gotta do, detectives. You know, every episode of Lost starts with our characters sitting around figuring out how they're going to entertain you for 42 minutes and you know that forces the characters to act sort of spontaneously on on very little information it makes them make mistakes and all these things but most importantly as an audience you guys can identify with the characters because they know almost as little as you do so you can watch the show and basically go like yes I am frustrated too Hurley but (laughs) at least you guys are all on the same page you can all be mad at Carlton and I and the other writers together (laughs)
2: what when you finish, uh, you said you're writing the final ep- episode now. W- what do you think will be more significant for you, fin- you know, putting the punctuation at the end of that script, or actually shooting
0: it, or watching it be broadcast? I, I think probably the, the the culminating moment for us will be when we finish editing the finale and we uh-huh. lock it. You know. Um, I remember actually how profound it was when we saw, like, Charlie's death scene. I mean, <laughs> we wrote it, and then we went into the editing room. I mean, we knew what was going to happen, we watched the first cut of that. We watched Charlie down, we're like, we are such bastards, you know? And the emotional, I think that'll, that'll really conclude our work. Yeah, there'll be sound mixing and yeah. scoring and things, but really as storytellers, the, the vast majority of our work will, will end when that, final, uh, when that final show is locked, and I think that'll be the moment of real... You know, prof- profundity as we realize that, you know, our story is, is over.
2: Well, thank you so much, guys. Please give a, a round of applause for, Thanks, for guys. Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof's Doppelganger.